Hello, and welcome to the Unique CPA with your host, Randy Crabtree. We're committed to creating a thriving community of accounting professionals who are physically and mentally healthy, fulfilled, and energized by their work. Our ultimate goal is to elevate the reputation of the accounting profession and vastly improve the lives of those in it. The Unique CPA is brought to you by Trimerit, the specialty tax professionals. Today, our guest is Michael Lee. Michael is CEO of Reconciled, which is a firm that he launched in the summer of 2015. Reconciled is a full-service uh, virtual bookkeeping firm, or I guess a cloud accounting firm. Um, he'll, he can expand on that if I got that wrong. Uh, he's got some nice accolades for Reconciled uh, in 2016, year after he began. Uh, Intuit named Reconciled as the runner-up uh, firm of the future in 2018. He was the U.S. Uh, firm of the future, uh, which recognizes very innovative, forward-thinking uh, uh, firms in the industry. In addition, and we didn't talk about this, but I did see he was listed on Inc. Magazine's fastest-growing privately held companies in the U.S. this past year in 2022. So we have that in common. We were also on that list, which was pretty cool. So I think Michael's the second uh, or maybe even third person I've interviewed on the podcast whose company was also on that list. So uh, with that being said, Michael, welcome to the Unique CPA. Thanks for having me on, Randy. Uh, it's been great uh, getting to know you and awesome to get a chance to talk to you today. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So so I got all my data right there, right? I mean, you were the top 5,000 fastest growing. You did get these accolades, firm of the future. Did I miss anything there? Oh, no, that, that, that's, not, that's great. Uh, yeah, you got those right. Okay. And uh, we, yeah, we were really fortunate. We, had, we hadn't applied to the Inc. 5,000 before or been on that list. And so, because we hadn't, we've only been in business for seven years, so we finally uh, applied and and uh, made it last year. So that was really, really a big honor for us. Yeah, do you know what number you were? Because we were, we made it, but we weren't. We were, I think we were pretty close to. Uh, I think we were in seventeen, like seventeen seventy two, somewhere in the seventeen hundreds. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. we were in the four thousand. So you're 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 faster growing than we are, apparently. So <laughs> nice. Well, when you start small, when you start small, you can grow fast, right? So <laughs> everything yeah. looks everything looks big when you're real small, right? <laughs> I, I guess that's true. Now, just based on what you said, do you know? Did you have to be in business for a certain amount of years before you can qualify to be on the list? I think the I think there is a minimum revenue number now. I forgot that what that number is. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And and then they do a they do a, you know, a, a growth rate over a three year period. That's right. Of time. So you had to have hit a certain number by a certain year just to even make the running because of of how many companies they evaluate for that list. Right. So uh, obviously we made the minimum and we also made I think the minimum growth rate you have to have is pretty substantial as well, uh, because there are there are a lot of fast growing companies in the U.S. So, oh, yeah. I would think 5,000 is a pretty significant number to because uh, there are so many fast-growing companies. I think Brandon Hall was another one who was on that list. He was on the podcast recently, and then I swear there was one other. All right, I digress. <laughs> Let's get into you know really the uh, the whole Michael Lee story and why we're here today. And so I mentioned that Reconciled and the you know Cloud County Virtual Bookkeeping. I know Reconciled also has a you know, tax and advisory portion of it. You want to give us a little background on Reconciled? And then I'd be curious. I know you were involved in a few other things too, and maybe just give us a little background on, on you. And, I, and I've heard you talk to your, about yourself as 
not necessarily the owner of a, a Clowder County in a practice, but as an entrepreneur overall. So um, why don't you give us an idea of Reconciled and then a little more of the things that you're involved in. Yeah, Reconciled, I started as an experiment in late 2015 and then launched it formally in the beginning of 2016. Uh, I was a solo CFO consultant before that and accounting consultant before that. And every time I would work with a customer at the time was, you know, um, mainly customers in Vermont, uh, small businesses in Vermont. And as I was working with customers, I just found this common problem that generally their, their financial accounting foundation was a mess. And so I, after a few years of doing that, I realized, Hey, if I can hire my own team and create a predictable service, could I provide this service to my clients at the time? But then also, can I eventually just provide it nationwide? And that's what happened. And so it's, it's grown very rapidly since then, you know, fast forward to today, we, you know, have 45 us based employees. And then we have about 10, what we call near shore workers in South America. Uh, that we also treat like employees. So, mm-hmm. you know, between 55 to 60 people in total. And if you add part-time contractors, we use in the U.S., probably closer to 65, 70 people that are involved with Reconciled um, across the world. And we're serving hundreds, maybe five to 700 clients on a monthly basis, as well as project basis. So small businesses are focused. Uh, we really are targeting lifestyle small businesses 500,000 to $2 million a year revenue grows growing very slowly, usually a single owner or a couple, you know, that, that they, they're running the business and they've run it for many years and it grows slowly. It provides good, good income for them. And we're targeting generally B what I call B class and C class states and cities for both employees as well as customers. So we're not a, a, a company that focuses on high flying startups or on Silicon Valley or New York-based startups, but we're really focused on these cities and towns like North Carolina and Florida and Texas and Arizona, Vermont, New Hampshire, where the makeup of the economy is is lifestyle small businesses. So right. that's been our focus, and it's been a great journey so far in the past uh, seven years. So when you say your focus is those those businesses that you call them the B and the C class, uh, uh, you know, it's not the tech startup type of thing, I assume it's. Um, and so when you go in, what are the services? I assume you're because I know we talked about advisory a little bit at the beginning, and I assume you're going in with that CFO mindset or that let's see how we can help them be more profitable, have more free time, you know, solving different problems. Is that, is that a typical thing you're doing or is that a branch of what Reconciled does or? Yeah. So most of our customers come to Reconciled and what Reconciled is known for probably 70% of our revenue is just core accounting services. That's what I figured. So if you, if you think of the 20, 30 million small businesses in the country, the all of them need core accounting all of them need a basic financial foundation before they even can get to the next level of advisory and of profitability metrics and yep. cash flow forecasting and planning so we really our front door with our customers and our outreaches let's get your foundation right let's get the core right and that's where we start makes sense and that's where the majority of our revenues and and what we're providing so we start there and then 24 20- Twenty percent of our revenue, um, you know, ten to twenty percent of our customers are then upgrading or or purchasing the advisory level services, CFO planning, you know, 
higher controller level work, more complex accounting work, FP&A work. And then we have 10% of our revenue that's in tax services. So as we, and that's the newest service line for our co- company. It's really been, been only offered the past two or three years. So the, and we got into it primarily because we, a couple of years ago, we started acquiring smaller competitors or smaller accounting firms in the space that had tax service arms. So, but the makeup, the core of Reconciled is really, we're trying to be the core uh, back back office foundation for our customers and are able to do as little or as much of that back office foundation as our customers would like to. All right. Well, based on that, there's two things that I'd like to go into. And you and I talked about this a little bit ahead of time, just the technology involved with that and, and, and the technology you use, but also... A key thing that you just talked about or you just mentioned was you had had bought other accounting firms, other bookkeeping firms. And so it seems like that's an issue. I mean, in general, our industry, our profession, there's a lot going on, a lot going on from you know private equities coming in. Um, uh, we have, you know, f- older, let's say, legacy firms or just older millenn- uh, um, boomer home firms that don't have an exit strategy uh, that that uh, need somehow to merge up or be bought out. And so now you've gone through this process a few times with buying other firms out. Maybe you can give us a little bit of uh, advice or, or game plan or what do you look at when you're doing a, a purchase or evaluating a potential opportunity? Yeah, so the, the first part of your question around technology use. So Reconciled has a standard tech stack. We don't have our own internal technology we developed. We haven't created any IP we're not trying to compete against QuickBooks as an accounting software, and we don't sell ourselves as artificial intelligence. It's not something that we're leveraging. I don't think it's it's there yet for us. So we're leveraging out-of-box tools like QuickBooks Online as our central core GL. We have some clients on zero, but QuickBooks Online being the majority, and then an AP management system like Bill.com or Milio, um, and, and then workflow tracking internally using Carbon, Slack for internal communication, G, we're G Suite House for email. So we're using a lot of the tools that that software companies or that other professional services firms are using on the cloud and doing that remotely. And the whole team is is remote, uh, working either from home or from 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 offices and small teams if they want to, but primarily from home. And so that's been the makeup of Reconciled. We we're we are providing a core service for our customers, trying to do it in a predictable way at a fixed monthly fee and doing it in a way where that's accessible for our customers. And there's enough customers in, in the country, enough small businesses, like I said, 20 to twenty to 30 million, probably more than that. I'm probably underestimating yep. that could use this service and they just need it done right. And they need it done regularly and predictably and at an accessible price point. So that's reconciled. And we're, and we're, we're leveraging kind of that standard you know, a standard tech stack that a lot of firms are using. I would assume so. And and before we get into, because I think we want to spend some time on that whole, you know, buying accounting firms, but let's go, let's stick on technology for a while here. Um, because you mentioned something about AI and, uh, and how you don't think it's it's there yet, that it's really something that uh, that we can use in accounting at, to some level or to a big level. Uh, and I know you have your own opinions, and I know you have your own definition of AI as well. Um, you want to expand on why you think we're not there or what, what your feelings are on AI and how that is working or not working currently? Yeah, so I think, I think we had a, a evolution of AI over time, right? 
there was the first part of marketing around AI, which most people knew it really was human beings behind it. There was nothing artificial about it. It was really, it was really natural. It was farm to table AI, I guess you would call it. Yep. And people were marketing it as artificial. So I think most people understood that and it was human beings wherever they were in the, U, in, in the world or in the US. Then you have the second iteration where people were leveraging better software, but now, now they have access to better technology to leverage cheaper labor. And so you have cheaper labor AI Right. And and if you actually look at technology that you thought was was, you know, really existed, like, for example, OCR technology, mm -hmm. optical, you know, imaging, imaging systems. Most of the OCR technology out there is actually human beings behind it. Really? Uh, they, they are people in, in Africa or Asia or in cheaper labor areas mm -hmm. where they're actually looking at the image for you and then coding or telling you what the image is. And it look and you think it's it's OCR. And so that that actually is a real reality. It still is today. If you use a lot of OCR technology or uh, image scanning technology, it's literally a human being reading, you know, retyping that at scale. And uh, so there's a lot of softwares we won't mention on the call that <laughs> we use in the profession that isn't actually really digitally reading your text or numbers. It's just people coding it and they're looking at images. And that's why you have technology that has, you know, you, you send an image and it's waiting, it, you know, it's in a, and it's in a, waiting mode you're going if this is technology why is it waiting it's waiting for a human being to be available right. to correct you know to make to confirm it so then you have the 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 third iteration right now you know which is actual real ai software and or machine learning and then you have things like chat gpt which is like real real ai software right so there's been this huge development over time and right now in the accounting profession it's really been at best uh, it's been at best human assisted. They call it human assistant, and you'll you'll see these terms around there that say the word human assisted, and it it relates to the fact that that technology isn't there yet. That there's a human being behind it. So that's I mean that's a reality of, of where AI is going. And so for accounting, it's not super helpful for us because we actually need it to work, right? right? Yeah, that's and important. if they're going to have human beings still doing the work, well, we pay human beings in our profession to do the work. Why would we pay? somebody else to do the work overseas just because it's cheaper. And often the price point isn't even there to, ju to justify the change. So that's, that's, that's the reality of it. So the reality is we are not there yet. And I actually wondered that because, you know, and I won't name names, but we've used a couple different uh, expense reimbursement or, or uh, programs for all our employees, you know, upload your receipts and, and it'll automatically, you know, put this expense in there. And, you know, sometimes it populates into the software right away. Sometimes it doesn't do it at all. And I'm like, well, why is this so inconsistent? What is this? And I think you just told me it's human assisted. It's not true OCR AI. It is, it is individuals. All right. Yeah. And then and there's this, you know, just kind of like organic food has this broad range of definition by the FDA of what you can call organic. Is it 80% organic and 20% then? It's the same thing with AI. Like that term is being used with a broad definition. Yep. And it goes anywhere from human being behind software in a type form to human assisted to machine learning to actual AI. And in the accounting profession, I could probably count in my hand what accounting software products actually use real AI, real AI, not just, you know, and or even machine learning not in no humans are involved 
I, I think we can count on our hands between you and me what's actually using it. And then the rest is really not at all what you and I would consider real AI. Well, you could count. I would have no idea who is and who isn't. <laughs> so maybe we'll talk offline about that. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll leave that go for now. So so do you have an opinion on where we are going with AI? Is it going to be more prevalent in the county? Is it getting close to that it's going to take over roles that are currently run specifically by human-assisted AI? I think I think where we're going to go first is you're going to see a huge migration towards offshore labor. And that's already occurring and it's good, mm-hmm. but it's not occurring fast enough or exponential enough to where it's, it's impacted the whole industry yet, but you're going to start seeing that. And then you're going to, you're going to also start seeing some loosening of the requirements to be able to do certain kinds of accounting work like audit. You'll, you'll start seeing loosening of CPA requirement and maybe even certifications that allow people to step into the profession easier I think you're going to see that first before you start seeing actually wholesale automation because the the databases and the engines that have to be built in order for the software to truly replace categorization in a GL, mm-hmm. it's going to be a while. You know, okay. it's going to be a while. So do I see huge disruptions in the next five years? I actually don't. I'm actually don't. I'm not concerned about the next five years. Past the next five years, yeah, there probably will be some disruption. And then the past the next 10 to 20 years, you'll see more dramatic disruption but people have been talking about this disruption for a long time. Right. And I think at the core of it is there has to be a wholesale change at the IRS level in their systems. Oh, yeah. And there has to be a wholesale change in our banking system and how banks operating systems communicate. Until that happens, I don't know how automation can really and AI can really, really have, see its full benefit. Okay. Because you can't, I mean, they've been hearing for years now that. Audits are going to go away, uh, financial statement audits, because of AI is going to take over. And so what are accountants going to do? And so that's we're not at that level, at least in your opinion yet. And we got a ways to go. In five years, I'll maybe still stick around doing some stuff. 10 to 20 years, I won't be part of it anyway. So um, um, I'll just watch from the sidelines drinking my uh, <laughs> my margarita on the beach or wherever I am at that point. Um, that's great. That was great that I knew you had some opinions on that and ideas. And, but let's go into this buying an accounting firm because this is a big deal. I've, I've just so you know, personally, I've done this two times. I, I bought a firm. Um, I had started my firm back in 91. I think I bought my first firm in 98. And then to add to what we had. And then the second time was around the year 2000. So not far apart. Uh, not huge acquisitions, and I probably didn't do nearly the due diligence that I think you're doing. But you know, we were paying I think one times revenue at that time, and maybe that's still common. Maybe it's not. But so when you're looking then from acquisition standpoint, what are you seeing? What are you doing? What's your due diligence? How do you determine if it's a good opportunity or not? Yeah. So the the valuation from valuation standpoint, valuations for more traditional firms, what you know you would call them local CPA firms or accounting firms that are community based, that largely hasn't changed. That valuation range hasn't changed anywhere from 0.8 to 1.2 times revenue. You find the rare firm that's that's requesting 1.5. They rarely close at that. It's it's still usually down to one, you know, 0.8 to one, and maybe with an earnout if there's an increased amount of revenue that the seller generally has to stick around and and help can create. So that that is pretty common still. 
from a criteria perspective, the firms that we look for and that we've we've established this criteria around looking for firms that are doing a sizable amount of revenue. And so I say sizable, at least around a million dollars or more a year. And that means they have a staff or a team generally doing that work. And the owner themselves is at best reviewing and signing returns, but they're, that the owner is not actively doing client work on a regular basis. They're probably just selling more. We're looking for firms where the owner's name is not in the is in the firm. So we don't want to look for a firm where it's been branded around a name, hmm. around somebody's name, like Crabtree and Associates or Crabtree Which... CPA LPLC or whatever it is. That's majority of firms out there. Right. right. And we were. You uh, you nailed it. My first firm was Crabtree yeah. and Associates. So <laughs> And there's and there's some, you know, there's some states, very few, that do have a, this requirement of your name must be in the CPA firm. I get that. So we just, but we just avoid firms where that's a requirement and generally they're CPA firms. And then the owner um, has a desire to exit or to leave. And then the last criteria is they've started the technology migration journey. And when I say that, it means, for example, if they're on QuickBooks desktop, it's all being hosted somewhere, right? Um, If they are on QuickBooks online, they are on QuickBooks Online and QuickBooks Desktop, like a mix of that. If they're on some other product, then we're going to have a very difficult time wanting wanting that firm. So they have to be in the QuickBooks ecosystem or sphere. Um, so that's that's the mix. And then they have to be majority bookkeeping advisory and minority tax services. Almost every firm we run into has some level of tax, yep. but we want that to be the minority of their revenue. So that's the you know a handful of criteria we look for. So that automatically removes a lot of firms, right? If they're if they're not doing or closing in on a million of dollars a year, that that takes out a whole set of firms. If they've got a name that the last that's the last name of the owner, it takes out a set of firms. So you start seeing now, okay, we're now down to a a, a tight set of, you know, a, a, a thousand or a few thousand firms left, and then you start the journey of trying to reach out and talking to those owners because I'm I'm not reaching out to firms that are publicly listed for sale, although they we do run into those. The ones we've purchased haven't been publicly listed they've all been privately just conversations and outreach to the owners to see where they're they're at in their journey for sale so when you when you do that then when you how are you finding them is this just cold calling or are you meeting them at conferences or it's all it's all all over the board email outreach cold calling meet you know obviously i attend conferences like you meeting owners at conferences staying in touch with them i'm a natural networker i like staying in touch with people like sharing learning from people um, oftentimes I'm reaching out to people just to learn from them or to meet up and, and, and see how they're running their firm. And you run into people ready to ready on their journey to either retire or to be done and to be done with running their firm. And that, that's where you get the gold mine. So, you know, you never know where somebody's at, at that, what period of time they are in their firm career or their life. So that's, that's where you want to catch them. And we just so happen to have done three now and, and we're continuing to talk to more. Okay, so you're actively searching still. I mean, it's not like you've put a hold on anything. Right, right. We're still actively talking to firm owners, and we don't have anything right now scheduled to close anytime soon, uh, but it does take time. It does, you know, from the moment you send, you've, you meet somebody, you start having the conversation, it could be you know, 90, 120 days at the earliest before something closes, and generally from the time you start talking, you know, five, six, seven months out from that time you start having the conversation. It's pretty rare when you meet somebody and they're, they're ready to go, right. you know, in 60 to 90, because then you got to line up financing, you got to line up 
attorneys, the, the, the agreements. And there's a lot of things that line up and it just takes time. It's just a part of, and you're all both still running your firms while yep. this is happening. Right. Right. You're still both running your firms. You're still not talking about it publicly. You're not trying to share the information except for the, with your close advisors. So it takes a lot of time while you're still running your business. And how about the integration then? I mean, you want them on the QuickBooks or some level of getting more cloud. Uh, is the integration with these three you've done, has it from a culture standpoint and a technology standpoint, has there been hiccups or issues that you've learned to avoid in the future? Well, there's definitely hiccups. There's hiccups with with everything. Yeah. So, you know, I wish there could be a turnkey out of the box. Oh, wow, no hiccups. And a lot of a lot of it comes around to speed of integration, how fast or slow do you move, a ch- system changes, right? Just even if you're both on QuickBooks Online, just the how do we get their QuickBooks realm online realm over to our ownership? How do we get the billing, wholesale billing over to our wholesale billing? There's just those little those things changing over vendors. You know, do they have Dropbox subscriptions or what software subscriptions are they using that we need to migrate over and transition the files over? So it's a lot of data and transition of things. Uh, and then and then it's the expectations of both the, the selling owner and the buying owner, you know, the purchaser, myself, as well as the expectations of the employees of the selling owner and then the employees of the buy of the buyer. So you need that all aligned, and that takes time. And what happens is you can't really share a whole lot until the deal is closed right. with either parties. So the only parties generally involved are the owners of each side, their attorneys, their their finance groups, and then maybe the leadership teams. Right. If 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 you let the leadership teams know, but if you know that the firm sizes we're buying, the leadership teams are pretty small. It's generally the owner, maybe one other person knows. Uh, but you don't generally get to meet the staff that you're going to be purchasing of the purchasing of the firm you're going to purchase. You don't get to meet the staff until the day after close or the day of close. You don't get to meet the customers. So there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot that happens and a lot of trust that happens in the whole process that I'm surprised this, it it even gets done, (laughs) but it does, you know, and it does all the time and there's a whole rhythm to it and a standard to it. And it happens all the time. So. And what about staff then? Is this a, you normally retain everybody or do people see this opportunity to, to try something new? How has the retention been with staff? We, we try to retain everybody. So we make an offer to everybody. It's their choice whether or not they want to accept it. And we try to keep everybody at par on, on, on compensation or increase their compensation if we don't feel like they are up to level with where, where their experience and their role is at. So Everyone has the opportunity to come over and work with Reconciled going forward. And if they choose not to, that's kind of their 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 decision. And there, there are individuals that have taken the opportunity to go, okay, hey, I've, I've thought about retiring early, or um, I was planning to exit anyways, or hey, Reconciled, the size you're at and the growth rate you're at is not for me. I wanted to be at a smaller, you know, not grow, you know, super slow growing firm. So there's a variety of reasons uh, people don't come over. But fortunately, we've had a lot, you know, most of individuals come over initially. And then over time, there's just natural attrition that occurs uh, and that, that that's normal to the profession. And so we, we deal with the same thing. And that impacts both our, our, our main business as well as the firms we acquire. 
All right. And and while we're talking staff, I think that I'm going to segue a little bit here, but you know, you, and we said this at the beginning, you're, you are a remote firm. Everybody's working at home mm-hmm. or maybe small group offices and all that. And we, we're very similar to that. And we're similar size to you. We're about 60 people and we've been remote from the start 16 years ago. And the question that I get a lot and the concern I get from people is, well, how do you build a culture when everybody's remote? And now same thing for you. I wonder how you do this, but then also you've got this, you're merging in firm. So corporate culture, do you do anything specific? Cause that's a big deal. People want to be part of a group that they enjoy working with. Uh, do you guys have any specific culture initiatives you put in place? Yeah. So the, you know, there's two ways to answer this question. One is yes, we definitely have practices that help us build our culture and it really is intentional thinking around what are the things that we have in person or in an office that we can try to mimic or replicate or digitize for our, our sphere. So we use Slack, as I mentioned, mm-hmm. which allows for internal communication and removes and reduces email communication. We, we use a, a system called Cosmos, which is like a virtual video-based office that allows people to navigate a virtual office and have little avatars and communicate with one another. And it feels like they're in a virtual office together. We have Zoom meetings that are, that are both optional as well as required staff meetings. But for example, on Wednesday mornings, I have coffee with the CEO and any, any staff person can join coffee time with me and get a, get a chance to interact with me. And we talk about, we don't, we don't generally talk about work. We talk about non-work, non-work things. Um, and, and then we also, we have a, a common language of what we're trying to build. So, you know, I make it really clear of the vision and mission and also the, the, the team rules of reconciled, what are our non-negotiable values. And so that's, you know, that, those are all the things that we do to help and establish the culture and build it on a rhythm. If, if you think about culture in general, there are a ton of different cultures that have been built that have nothing to do with proximity, right? So uh, I'll just take movies, for example. If you think about the culture that's been, that's been built around Star Wars or Star Trek or the Marvel movies, there's whole cultures built around these, what you would call, you know, social or cultural iconic movies and, and themes that have nothing to do with vicinity. What is it? It's a common language, common storyline, common experience, a common interest. And that's the focus. And so if you think about building your corporate culture and you, you remove physical space, well, then most of the move is around, hey, what is, the, what is the vision? Does everyone have a common vision that they understand what it is? And so when people think about, I, I think what, what, what a lot of people think about when they, when they default to, well, we need, we need to be in person to build this. Yeah, in person is great. There is a lot of advantages in person. But I think the reality is you need, a, you need a clear vision of what you're trying to build. You need everybody on the same page of what that is. Yep. It starts there. And then you move to, okay, well, then what's the common language we're going to use? What's the common practices we're going to use? What are the common assumptions? What are we going to tolerate and not tolerate? That's actually culture. Uh, that's actually culture building. And there are, again, many, many, many examples of culture being created around, around uh, different things that have nothing to do with vicinity. Right. Nothing to do with being in person. And yet those cultures are built and they're built in a very dramatic way. I'd say even even stronger than most companies have. And so it, it really gets down to we a lot of us probably have very weak cultures because we have not because of vicinity, but because we have weak vision, right. we have unclear vision, we have weak practices, we tolerate everything. Uh, you know, it's it it I think that is really 
more of the issue that most companies have to focus on. Yeah, I love it. You, you've obviously put thought into this, uh, which which was great. Uh, I, I think we've been able to kind of do that same thing, even being remote. And, you know, the vision is out there and I probably should be able to skew our vision statement and I won't. But it's around basically, you know, bringing integrity to uh, the especially tax realm and 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 uh, and fun. My whole my whole vision is to to make accounting fun. Um, and so the combination, and we do, we do a bunch of stuff. I don't know if you do this, but we get together as a team, even though we're all around the country twice a year, we get together as a team and it's really just going out and having fun, um, you know, getting together, doing a little bit of, you know, here's the vision for this year. Or here's that. But as much of that as anything, it's, it's, let's just go, uh, have some drinks, eat some dinner. Um, you know, we had John Garrett out at our last one talking about what's your and, oh, which was great. fun. Um, you know, those types of things. So yeah, do you guys do any of that to try to get the team together? Yeah, we historically, as I was building the company, we were smaller. We did do once or twice a year getting together. And usually we would get together in Burlington, Vermont, or Charlotte, North Carolina, or places where we could get fly to easily. Yep. Um, the as when the pandemic hit, we are obviously limited on what we could do. We started doing vir- more virtual events. So we've done all staff virtual events every year. Yep. And then we have an all staff hands all you know, hands all staff meeting, all hands staff meeting um, once a month. And then the leadership team gets together at least twice a year. Um, and, and then I've been trying to get together kind of the leadership team and then the core leaders or what I call, you know, kind of the, the second tier leaders. Um, I'm, I've been trying to get them together at least once a year um, just so that they we can get on the same page. So it's been it's been really, really a, a blessing to be able to do that. And and then just to stick with culture a little bit, but also the culture and the the mergers or the acquisitions. Um, is there a when the new employees come in? Is there a here's who we are meeting or here's what we expect? It sounds like you say that we put the vision out there. Here's the expectations. Here's the non negotiables. Is this a specific thing when then you bring on these new people as employees or or merging? I assume. Yeah, so we have a whole onboarding process. Uh, we've curated an onboarding process just similar to the investment we've made in our customer onboarding process. We have a whole employee onboarding process, and there are steps to it. There's tasks they have to complete. There's experiences. There's training. There's individuals in the company they have to interact with. Um, there's peers they have to get to know. So that whole thing allows them to get to hear and understand and learn the expectations and also get equipped quickly to be able to do work. Um, so, and we, we, we learned that a few years, number of years ago when we realized, you know, we can't just get, invite somebody to Google Sweden and Slack and then expect them to start working. We really needed to, to take them through a Disney-like experience at Reconciled so that they could experience Reconciled for firsthand and, and really understand what was expected of them in their job. And also, frankly, we want them, we wanted them raving about their first few days here and their first 30 days here at Reconcile, which has been, been, um, great. And actually been the common thing we hear from people is that their experience, their onboarding experience makes them feel more connected to this company than any in-person job they've ever had. And so that's been, then been a wild and, and, and wonderful surprise for, for us. Yeah, that's funny because that's one thing that John Garrett and I have talked about as well is that whole onboarding and getting people into the whole vision right away and the expectations is just, you know, made retention so much stronger. And I assume that that's what you're finding as well. Yeah, yeah, it's that, that's that, that's definitely true. And it shows, obviously, it's more expensive to do it that way. And you have you have employees taking their time to get trained. But 
I do feel like they have a better, a much better sense of a connectedness to the company because of it. Yeah, I agree completely. So this wasn't even an area I was expecting to go with the corporate culture, but I love the information you shared there. I love the information you shared on on just looking for acquisitions. And, and I'm, I'm guessing a lot of people can learn a lot from what you've gone through with that as well. The technology, this was all, uh, my whole goal with this show is to get myself educated. Cause I figure if I'm getting educated, you're educating other people. And I really feel like we did a lot of educating today. So I appreciate uh, everything that you've been able to share before I react you, ask you a couple last things, a couple last questions. And, and this is one question I ask everybody that's on the show. I feel like I stealing John Garrett's mojo when I do this, but I did this before I met John Garrett um, was I ask everybody, okay, so this is what you do. You're reconciled. Here's your business. We've been talking business and how to run the business and things, best practices and all that. But you're a person outside of work too. What's your passions outside of work? What do you like doing when you're not uh, working on any of these uh, business projects? Yeah. So I, you know, I'm married and I have a beautiful wife. We, we've uh, been married now almost 17 years oh. and we'll be selling, bring that next month. And we have three wonderful kids, a 14 year old, 10 year old, and eight year old, two boys and a girl. And they're wonderful as well. So I spend obviously a lot of time with them and try to invest what, what extra time I can or priority time with my wife and kids and my family. Um, when I am not working, which is pretty rare and, and not a good thing, because I, no. I, I would consider myself a workaholic. I love working and I love building things. Um, I enjoy reading, reading. I enjoy listening to podcasts. I enjoy learning. Um, I enjoy actually mentoring young guys. So I actually uh, meet with young guys that are in their 20s to 30s that are either they're trying to think about their career, they're trying to start a business, whatever it is, I get outreach just from random people or introduction to young guys. And that was a huge thing in my life growing up is I had a lot of mentors growing up, a lot of different mentors, uh, either through my church or just um, into the workplace that invested in me. Mm -hmm. And so I, that's my way of giving back is just always, always doing that. And then I have been a big volunteer at every church that we've been a part of. My parents originally were sponsored over by a church in early 80s. They were sponsored over from Cambodia as refugees. And so since then, I've always felt indebted to the church. And I've always been involved in a local local church in some way, shape, or form, volunteering, teaching, you know, doing whatever that I can. That's a big part of my life as well. And, you know, everybody who's grown up in the church has a love-hate relationship with it. I have an ex 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 special love relationship with it because of its huge involvement in my family's history. Right. And so I, I feel indebted, regardless if I was an atheist today, I would feel indebted um, in many, many ways. And uh, so that's, you know, that's a big, big part of me. And I love eating. I love eating. <laughs> I love hosting people to eat as well. So I'm, you know, I'm going to be hosting a group of um, a group of firm owners in, in Arizona after the tax season's over and air, where, where it's warm. So I've invited a group of, of firm owners to come to Arizona and just hang out. And so feel free to come join us, Randy. I was going to say, I didn't and, see my invite yeah. yet. So I'll, yeah. I'll keep checking my email and yeah. see where that is. So 
<laughs> yeah, it's open to anybody, really. Anybody that that wants to come, just come after tax season. We're going to be hanging out here at the last week of April. Really? In Scottsdale, Arizona. So, oh, that's yeah. cool. That, that'd be a lot of yeah. fun. I'm in. Just give me the details. Yeah, definitely. That'd be, that'd yeah, be I'll great. Yeah, I'll send you the details. So last question then. If you know people want to get a hold of you or find more about you, Michael Lee, and find out more about Reconciled, uh, where would the best place that they could look to get more information or get a hold of you? They, they can find me on LinkedIn or, or Twitter. It's not hard to find. There's not a lot of Michael Lee's uh, in, in the world or in the U.S. So just look up Michael Lee Reconciled or Michael Lee just on Twitter or LinkedIn. Feel free to connect. I, I generally accept connections and messages directly. Um, and then Reconciled is Reconciled.com. I was fortunate to get that domain years ago. So Reconciled.com is, um, is our website. And we, we're on most of the, most of the social media. Uh, so just find us on there. All right. Well, this, this has been awesome, Michael. I really appreciate you being on the show today. I had a great time. I've been smiling a lot, so I know I had a great time. So uh, thanks again for being here. Great. Thanks, Randy. Thank you for joining us today on The Unique CPA. You can find the show notes for today's episode and learn more about Trimerit at theuniquecpa.com. Remember to subscribe and leave a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting app. And join us next time for more expertise and insights on The Unique CPA. Professionalproductions.net